You're listening to the God, God Life Culture, Culture Podcast, Podcast, where faith and what's trending collide. Hey, this is Eddie. And this is Miguel. And thank you once again for joining us for a new episode of the God Life Culture Podcast. Yes, welcome back to a brand new episode of the God Life Culture Podcast. We are so excited that you are joining us today, that you're connected on your way to school, on your way to work, or maybe you're at home and you're just relaxing. Uh, we're just so thankful that you are connected and that you are that you are with us. Uh, if you are not subscribed, this is your moment to hit that subscribe button so you can be notified when we drop a new episode. And also, if you could please be so kind to leave us a review, this helps um, you know put our show out in front of more people and expand our reach. Thank you guys so much for that. Eddie, how are you feeling? <laughs> feeling great, excited for the new episode on my way here today. You know, I went to visit my mom uh, over the weekend, um, you know, swing by, say hi to her, whatever. And on the way here, I was thinking about, because uh, we are currently in Long Island. My mom lives in the city. She lives in Brooklyn. And um, I don't know, I just started getting like this, remembering like these antojitos, like these cravings, uh, especially like Puerto Rican, you know, antojitos, like relleno de papa, eh, alcapurria, like certain like things. Things like that. I was like, man, I haven't had one of those in a hot minute. And either I'm gonna have to bother her to see if she'll make it for me or go to like one of those like uh, Puerto Rican restaurants where they make like all the frituras to get like a bacalaito frito. Like, I don't yes. know, like, there's like a bunch of things. I was like, man, I haven't had those things in a long time because living in Long Island. It's a little different. They, yeah. You know, they don't have a lot of Puerto Rican spots <laughs> yeah, yeah. for you to tap into. Uh, but it was just like that craving, like those thinkings Like you know, I don't know if you have those moments. Yeah, I mean, I definitely do. I think those moments for me, it's just a little bit different because, um, you know, my grandmother uh, definitely uh, is the cook and she makes all of those things. So like, you know every at least like once a month i'll get a bacalaito in there or you know every few months today you know the papa all of that stuff so i love that um so the food i do crave or have those like you were saying um you know is for salvadorian food yes. i absolutely love pupusas yes love the love them so you know whenever i do get those moments it's really for pupusas like yeah. that's what i that's what i want but i'm you know i am puerto rican but uh you know I but you get it. Bobusas. You get it all the time. Yeah. So you don't have those cravings for that. Yeah. And guys, today we're so uh, excited that you guys are listening and we have a special guest with us. Um, you guys have been enjoying our guests. And today we know that you're going to enjoy um, the special guest that we have with us. Um, she just released a book. What um, she just released a book. Sorry. What is happening to me? That is the title of her book. Um, so please welcome to the God Life Culture Podcast, Jeannie Ortega. Jeannie, can you please say hello to our listeners? What's up? What's up? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we're so excited that you are joining us. Thank you. Jeannie, you know, we were we started off the episode speaking about antojitos. Me yeah. specifically talking about like those relleno de papas or alcapurias. Do you are you a chef where you 
can, whenever you're getting those cravings, you can just like whip it up? Or do you have those times where you're like, man, I wish I could really get my hands on, you know, one of those things? Well, first of all, thanks for making me starving. <laughs> um, I, I definitely cook. I, I mean, to make frituras and stuff like that, it's a little, that's special. The only <laughs> thing I can make is a pastelillo or empanada, whatever. You know, everybody yeah. calls it different. Yep. Um, I can't make a relleno de papa or something like that. But I definitely cook arroz con gandule, penil. You know, I, I get down. <laughs> okay, so all the essentials. All the essentials, yeah, the right? Essentials. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like, you know, the, those are specialties, what you were saying. I, I, still, I still have to practice that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeannie, once again, thank you so much for being here with us. We're so excited to dive into this. Um, but for all of our listeners who are hearing you for the first time, and this is, you know, their introduction to you, can you please share with us who is Jeannie Ortega? <laughs> I always find that as a weird question because um, I think what, as Americans, we're trained to say what we do is who we are. Um, and I, that's probably what people are, are expecting to listen, <laughs> to hear. Yeah. But um, for me, you know, who, who I am now is like 100% God's girl, you know, um, born and raised in Brooklyn, New York, Puerto Rican descent, um, pretty much ran away into the music industry. You know, ran away from my reality because uh, I didn't want to be here anymore. And and God used music to save my life. So I ran away into the music industry. I became a pop star. And then in the midst of that, realized uh, none, nothing, none of that satisfied. None of that filled the void that I felt. And then Jesus got a hold of me. Um, and that's kind of where my life really began, you know. Nice. Um, so yeah, who I am, I, I'm, I'm, I'm legit hundred percent transformed <laughs> by the living God, you know, not who I used to be, not chasing dreams, not chasing yes. me, not chasing success, just chasing the will of my father. And yeah, I'm so grateful, you know, girl from Brooklyn, New York, I did all these things that people feel like they want to do. And, and they think that that means they arrived. But I did all that and still didn't feel fulfilled. It wasn't until, you know, Jesus that I finally know who I am and my identity. So. And we definitely want to unpack all of that. Like you hit on a lot of great things about your journey and your life. And, you know, I started speaking about the, you know, my mom is from Brooklyn. You grew up in Brooklyn as yeah. well. You yeah. know, you had your childhood is a childhood that's from Brooklyn. I think that's specifically Bushwick, if I'm not um, yes. mistaken, as well as where you grew up. Bushwick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Can you speak to us a little bit of, of that? Like how is, you know, what was Jeannie's life as a child and growing up into her teens living in Bushwick, Brooklyn? Um, well, I'm a child of two very passionate Latinos. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, you know, I oftentimes felt like there wasn't peace in the house. And then back when I lived in Bushwick or when I grew up in Bushwick, it wasn't the Bushwick that it is now. Like Bushwick is gentrified. It's oh, like yes. a new hot spot, but it was the ghetto when I lived there. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I've seen my friends get shot. You know what I mean? Um, so I, I like, you know, growing up in Bushwick was just very like no peace inside, no peace outside. Um, but there was also these very special moments that I, I miss forever because I feel like uh, there's not other places like it, but where you could go outside and hang out in the soup with your friends, yep. you know, when, when there isn't 
<laughs> drive-bys. <laughs> yeah. um, and you can play games and just hang out, you know, play stupid and uh, hide and seek and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, growing up in Bushwick was definitely, um, it was a, it's a one of a kind experience, you know, um, and it really shaped who I was. Um, I became very street smart as a kid because you have to be. Yep. Um, in order to survive, you know, you can't, you can't be out there sleeping. Like you need to be very aware and alert. Um, so yeah, that was pretty much my childhood. <laughs> um, and yeah, then- I mean, you, you definitely, you know, you said that you realized the power of music from a young age. Yes. Um, and you talk about that, you, you know, you ran away from home to pursue the industry and, you know, you were so young and, um, if I'm not mistaken, I remember hearing that, um, you know, you were seven years old and you listened uh, to a, was it a Mariah Carey song yeah, that yeah. like definitely it, impacted you in that moment? Can you share a little bit about that experience? Yeah. So I grew up, um, you know, knowing that there was a God and stuff, but I didn't know that there was Christian music or inspirational music or anything like that. So I grew up in a very secular, you know, mainstream kind of world view. So, um, yeah, I mean, one day, I mean, because, you know, when you're young and, and like I, I've always been a creative, a uh, very dramatic <laughs> artist, little mind of mine, you know, so I've always felt things very deeply. So when things weren't going good at home or in school, you know, they really affected me and I felt very lonely and I felt like no one understood me. And it was using um Mariah Carey, you know, the Lord really used her at that time to get my attention. Um, It was one of her songs on her Daydream album. It's called Looking In. And she just talked about being a little girl um, who felt lonely. And it was exactly what I felt. And she says a bunch of other sophisticated things that I had no idea what she was saying. But (laughs) I understood the heart of her song and I began to cry and cry and cry. And in that moment, I realized, wow, music has power. Music had the power to take me from my little suicidal state to wanting to just make music. Like I felt like, here's Mariah Carey and she felt how I felt and she made something out of her life. I can do that too. And then I thought I can do that and I can inspire other girls like me too. And that was it right there. So my focus shifted from the chaos in my world to I now had a dream and I now had a goal. And that's kind of what helped save my life. And God used it for sure. And you were successful in at least reaching some of those goals. You were signed uh, to a label, a record label. And, you know, what can you once all that happened, like you went from this girl with a desire and a need, you find the power that music has in it that not only impacted you, but now you feel this calling to use it to impact others was the transition into getting part of being part of a record label, getting signed, what you thought it was going to be, what like what were the great things about it and the things that you were not expecting? So I worked from that moment at seven years old until I was 16 to get a record deal. I sang everywhere that I could, school, in the street. I would knock on my neighbor's doors. Can I sing a song for you? Like seriously, (laughs) 
Um, and then lo and behold, after, you know, just a bunch of phony people and dealing with stuff like that, I actually did wind up getting a deal at 16. Um, and you know, that was always my goal. Like I'm going to do music because music has power. It can help people. And then once I started to, once I actually got the deal and I, I started to get groomed as a pop star, you know, you start to get things confused. Like, uh, you know, you, you hear things like, you got to make the girls want to be you and you got to make the guys want to be with you. And that's very PG because mm -hmm. it wasn't said that way. It was said in a very vulgar matter. Um, and, and like you then become a people pleaser. Like I legit was like, well, yeah, that's what I'm supposed to do. This is what the labels, you know, wants me to do. So that's what I need to do. And, you know, I started to shift my motivation. Um, and then at the age of 19, I actually had my first hit single. Um, cause my album came out, like it took a couple years to develop an album. First, I worked with people who wanted all creative control. They didn't let me do anything. Then finally I said, Hey, I write, let me write. Once I started to write, then the album was finally made. Um, and right. in that process, you know, we got our first single, which was, um, crowded and it was top 25 billboard hit song. It went gold on radio. You know, I started to tour with Rihanna, just all these different crazy opportunities. Um, I legit like became famous, you know, especially for a girl from the hood. Mm -hmm. And I got literally reached my goal at, you know, 19, 20, 21. And then, you know, um, it was wild because I thought that that's, that was going to make it better. I thought if I became yeah. famous, if I started to get all this money and I started to get all this money, <laughs> um, you know, if I made it out the hood, that life would be better, but nothing really had changed. Mm. My bank account changed, my status, my social status changed, things like that. But internally, I was still extremely broken. I was still extremely um angry inside about the world around me and then sure enough i felt again those feelings of what's the point of even being here yeah. you know and and that was at the height of my success that was when i should have been you know like feeling the glory like everybody thinks is what it is um but you know without christ in my heart and without really understanding my purpose I didn't have that. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah. So what, so what? So and I'm sorry to cut you off. What was the tipping point? Like, when did the like you came to that realization? And then how did the transition start for you um, from going from being like this pop star that was just doing whatever the record label wanted? You know, your vision got skewed and all this other stuff. To then now having a, a vision that's focused on Christ. Okay, so I didn't. Like, I really, I still was just like building my own empire. I was like, you know, thinking that I was in charge of my everything. And in the midst of that, even as I was a pop star, somebody had invited me to a Christian church and I did go to the Christian church and I felt God and I never knew you could feel God. Before that, I, I just saw, um, you know, God was far away up there in the sky and, he, and hopefully he's listening 
you know, and I always felt like he had to be along for my ride because I don't know how else I survived without him, but I didn't have a relationship. But when I went to this Christian church in the middle of everything, all of my success and everything, I felt God. I felt the Holy Spirit. And I didn't know you can do that. I grew up in a religious, you know, background where you just say prayers, you stand up, sit down, and that's it. You light candles, you know? Um, <laughs> Sorry, so, Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, I didn't know anything about relationship with Jesus. And that moment changed. It switched things for me. I was like, whoa, you can feel God? So I started to legit become like a an evangelist. I was like you know, I was still half naked. I was still cursing all the time. I was still living crazy, but I had an experience with the spirit of God and I wanted the world and everyone. I was in the studio with the biggest producers in pop music. And I wanted them to know that you could feel God. Um, mm. So I started to do that like hardcore, just like start evangelizing you know, at the time, I didn't know what I was doing. I just had God in my heart now, and I wanted others to know. So I started to do that, like, you know, really a lot. And um, my label started to take notice, like, what's happening? You know, she, this is, she's the bad girl. Like, I was the bad girl on, you know, uh, Hollywood Records, which was like the Disney subdivision. <laughs> and they didn't sign a Christian. You know, they signed the bad girl from Brooklyn. <laughs> <laughs> um, but God, he started to do a change in my heart. And, um, you know, I'm sure that that turned them off, you know, completely. They were spending money to have me in the studio and I was blowing their money to preach to people because I'm like, did you know you could feel God? I felt God. Like, let me tell you my experience, you know, and then I was still making my records and all that. And then, uh, sure enough, after some time of literally blowing the label's money preaching all the time. I was let go from my label. Um, and at the same time, and I was at the height of my career, so nobody knew that I was let go or nothing. Um, I guess the label just knew, like, she's not going to give us the type of stuff we want anymore because something has changed in her, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't. Like, at that point, you know, when the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, like, at that point, Jesus was filling my heart, and I kept going to church, even though I was completely ratchet still. I kept <laughs> going to church because I was falling head over heels for this God who had now given me a purpose. You know, that day when he touched my heart and he healed me, I knew that that, that was it. You know, I had done everything already, so I knew that was it. So I kept wanting to explore that. But at the same time, I had a career. You know, I had I was successful. So I also you know, had to, had obligations, but then I used those obligations to preach. So eventually I was let go. And at the same time, I had been in a very serious relationship. I walked away from that relationship. My family had broken up at the time. And I felt like all my friends had vanished. And so the whole time, you know, I had been playing church and then going to the, to the studio and performing in the clubs and all that, because those were my obligations. And finally, when everything was taken from me, I looked up and I said, God, what do you have for me? I had never done that in my whole life before. Wow. I was like 21 years old. I literally had reached all of my goals and had never asked God what his purpose for my life was until that moment. And that's when I began to lay everything down at the altar 
all of, um, you know, all these idols that I had, my career, my successes, my everything, I just laid it all down. And that's where my journey began with God. Like that was when it really began. That was the tipping point. Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, because it's it's so many things we can get from that. One, the idea that we oftentimes have our own plan, our own expectations. We have, you know, everything mapped out, what we want to do, our goals, our ambitions. And, you know, very, you know, oftentimes we forget, you know, like you said, to ask God, right, to get his input. God, what's your plan for me? Right. And, um, you know, sometimes it is necessary to go through these things and, you know, learn these lessons. And, you know, you uh, just released, I believe this is your first book, correct? Yes. Yes. You just released your first book. Yeah. What is happening to me? You know, and I mean, in this book, you talk openly about your struggles um, with, you know, you talk about witchcraft, abuse, depression. Um, You even talk about suicidal thoughts. And I mean, to put all of these things in a book to share openly with the world. I mean, you know, uh, you just never know where your book will land. Right. I mean, I always heard, I heard someone once say, and it's always stuck with me that God puts books in hands, you know, so God will, will share this message with people. And, you know, you have been so vulnerable and have been so transparent and raw with your life experiences. You know, one, was that easy to do? And two, how did he know that this was the right time to write those things down and release it? Honestly, writing a book was the hardest thing that I ever had to do in my life. I've done a lot of crazy things in my life. Writing a book, hands down, was one of the hardest things. Um, I definitely did not think I would write a book like this. I did not even anticipate doing it. This was something that somebody suggested to me. And I said, okay, I'll think about it. Um, I started to talk to some people, you know, publishers about it and all that. And then completely became crippled with fear. And I don't know, like, if y'all know me, when people, I am not a fearful person. I'm crazy. Like I have crazy. I am not afraid of anything. Um, You know, I've been through hell and back. You know, I survived Bushwick. I've survived suicide. I survived, you know, abuse. I've survived witchcraft. All of that. You know what I mean? So I don't scare easy. But this, for some reason, it crippled me with fear. And then literally God had to send a prophet I was on a trip for work and some random person that I'd never met, he was a prophet. He came and he prophesied to me about the book that I had literally had on the shelf because I was afraid to start writing it. And he spoke to me. I knew it was God and I had to be obedient. That same week, um, a publishing company reached out to me who I had contacted earlier. And this is something I had put on the back burner for six months. And I was like, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to shove this because I was scared. And the same week after this guy prophesied to me, the publisher reached out to me again. So I knew it was all God. Um, The process was extremely excruciating because you have to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And um, I had to let people into the places in me that I had never let anybody in. Like I read the book to my parents and 
they, you know, they said to me so, so many times while reading the book, I never knew this. I never knew this. And that's what the book was like. It was like letting everyone into your deep, your deepest, darkest secrets, your journey um, of growth and, you know, showing the times that are the most humiliating to you, but that God, you know, that God used to, to help me be the person I am today. So it was incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I'm, and it's a roller coaster of emotions because I'm pretty sure that with the the fear that you were going through of being like, man, I, I'm going to be so transparent and be very vulnerable as well. There is a joy in being able to, you know, number one, like open those doors finally and let people into that world. But also the idea that, you know, when God allows us to go through certain processes, it's because it's purposeful. It's because someone's going to be ministered by that testimony. Somebody is going to be going through something very similar to an experience that you had and is going to realize, man, I'm not the only one. And if God did it for her, he can do it for me as well. Um, so all of that is a roller coaster of emotion. Um, and you speak about that vulnerability. You know, recently you also posted that your chapter two in your book, which is called God Turns Pain Into Power, was one of those most the difficult uh, chapters that you had to write for this book. Could you share with us a little bit about why this chapter in specific was so difficult? Yeah, well, this chapter was um, the chapter about my family, about my, my home situation. Um, so, you know, when you're writing a book about your life, you're not the only character in your life, you know? Yes. And for me, what was hardest was trying to protect my parents, um, and even their own journey with God, you know, and not trying to turn away from God because I'm being so vulnerable that, you know, I paint them in a way that just seems, you know, so awful and unredeemable. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but God really gave me such a beautiful way to write this story. I wrote this, I wrote that chapter in uh, the form of a graphic novel. So I describe my parents as my superheroes and I'm their little superhero. And the entire chapter is written like a comic book. Um, and I talk about, you know, the 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 enemy and how the enemy, the evil one comes and tries to, you know, kill my heroes or turn them into the anti-hero. And, and that was really hard for me because I, I knew that I would be sharing, you know, um, what was, you know, the stuff that happened in my house. And that's yeah. where my, my heart first broke there, you know. Um, and but. The Lord is so good that, you know, he gave me the wisdom to do it in a way that um, I, you know, I didn't have to, you know, disgrace anyone, um, but also share my truth. So, I mean, it's funny because people are starting to read the book now and I am getting a lot of feedback from, about that chapter in particular. So it, it's a blessing. And like you said, you know, none of our pain is in vain. None of it. And a lot of times we think that what we go through is because of us. And a lot of times what we go through is not even for us. It's so that we can help somebody else. 
Amen. I mean, in your book, you also make reference to church hurt. And this is a phrase, I mean, we hear this all the time. And, um, you know, we've spoken about this. And, you know, many of us have lived and gone through so many different experiences. But church hurt does look uh, differently to to each individual, right? It's, um, you know, a different level, a different experience that you go through. Um, Can you share a little bit about what that process looked like, you know, in your life where, you know, you experienced this church hurt? and then, you know, had to experience God heal that area of your life? Yes. And let me tell you, that is such a, like, that is so prevalent in the body of Christ. There are so many wounded soldiers out here, honestly, and, you know, hurt from their own, their own platoon. Um, So for me, after I, I got saved and I really dedicated my life to Jesus, I went all in, like all in. Um, I was not playing games, you know, when it came to like my devotion, my dedication to church and serving and all that. And I was completely naive. I was a street girl that had gotten cleaned up by the Lord himself. It took the Holy Spirit himself to clean me up, unfortunately, because that church didn't provide any discipleship. Um, now as a pastor's wife, I'm like, oh my gosh, it is so important to disciple people. You can't just let people out here, like, you know, leave them out here, like wild people, you know, to figure it out. It takes a lot longer that way. And that's how they left me. <laughs> but I didn't know the rules, you know, I didn't know the rules or anything. I just knew that this was the place where I felt God. So I thought that that place had to be heavenly, you know, had to be so close to to, to God because that's where I met him. Um, and after years, after about, after about, I would say five years of really devotion and serving the Lord with all my heart and serving that church with all of me as well. Um, I was accused of the unthinkable. Uh, the pastor's wife accused me of having an, um, an inappropriate relationship with her husband, who was almost like 30 years my senior. Um, And I had never seen him outside of the church at all, you know, and there was just envy. And I was so stupid and naive. I never thought that anyone would think evil like that. And I never thought that they would get like people like the people in church get attacked with the same, you know, things that regular people get attacked with. Um, so I was completely blindsided. My heart was broken. This woman that I looked to as a spiritual mom was actually looking at me like her greatest enemy. And I, um, and it broke my spirit. Let me tell you, I had been through everything thinkable, like imaginable at that time. And nothing had ever broken my spirit until that accusation. Um, it, for for a couple of years after that, I just literally put my head down. I started to serve the pastor's wife because I, I became a people pleaser because I didn't want her to think evil of me. Um, and and everyone like and I was still a young girl. And everyone just allowed for that to happen. Like they didn't coach me, guide me, teach me what was right, you know, or or wrong. Like it was just, I was accused of the unthinkable and it was my fault somehow. 
and I had to deal with that. And then after a couple of years of staying there, I, didn't, I was taught in that church that I couldn't leave there, that my anointing was linked to there, that, um, you know, if I had left there, I would fall. <laughs> so wow. I had no true knowledge of what, you know, uh, you know, right theology was. And I, I, I was stuck there and I stayed there. And then um, after a couple of years of living like that, which was not living at all, to be honest, because um, I couldn't even get prayed for. Like, I couldn't even get prayed for. I was so afraid to even ask my pastor to ever pray for me again because I thought somebody would think something wrong. Mm -hmm. I met my husband there. So God had a plan. He was just passing by. Um, his mom was the one who attended the church and she introduced us. And I knew right away that he was my husband. It was so wild. I, like I said, I didn't even want to be married. Um, but, you know, I just, I kept it to myself because obviously I'm not going to tell no dude that he's my husband. <laughs> I, don't want him to think, I didn't want him to think I was sweating him. Um, but then after a couple of months, the Lord actually told him that I was his wife. And um, yeah, within a couple of months after that, we were married. And I thought, surely, you know, surely this church could never think evil again. Like, here I am with my husband, who's like my Prince Charming. Um, you know, we're the same age. And, you know, he was this incredible man of God wanting to be a pastor. So I thought, you know, okay, well, now I'm married. There's no evil could enter this woman's mind again, thinking something that awful about me. But of course, as my confidence came back, as I started to grow again in God and really started to walk in my call, that same evil spirit came to try to break my spirit again. And this time, luckily, I had my husband and my family, and um, we eventually were kicked out of the church. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so insane. Um, and yeah, and it was the same type of stuff. I mean, this this time it wasn't that there was like, you know, any type of weird uh, accusation that I was, you know, with her husband or anything. But this time it was like, you guys, me and my husband have an inappropriate relationship with the pastor. I guess the wife somehow was jealous of um, how the pastor poured in to my husband and myself and I don't, to be honest, I don't know what it is. The Bible says where there's envy and strife, there's every evil. It was for sure some type of crazy envy. And unfortunately, I was the victim in that dysfunction. But it grew me quickly. Um, you know, church hurt can be severe. Like my husband nearly didn't recover from that. You know, and I went through it twice. Um, but God is so faithful because I had an actual relationship with God. I had known Jesus. I had known his spirit. I had had my own experiences with him. And that's the only reason that I didn't run back into the world. Because mm -hmm. to be honest, I was treated so badly by the church in that moment that, you know, I had never been treated that bad by the world. And, and that's unfortunate. And there's so many people that go to church that they get hurt from church. And they're like, you know, these Christians are supposed to be loving. They're supposed to be a reflection right, of Christ. Right. And, you know, for me, I was so naive that I was caught so off guard. And to be honest, in the book, I talk about that in chapter 10. 
Awesome. I mean, definitely those who are listening, uh, you need to get this book yes. um, because there are a lot of these, you know, uh, stories and scenarios that, um, you know, it may seem like, man, you went through all of that. Like you just <laughs> went through everything, you know. Um, but at the end, you know, we see that those moments and those difficulties in life do produce in us, right. um, you know, like the word says, a greater glory. But also God does use those things to produce beautiful art in our lives. And I right. think and I do commend your courage because things like that are more common than a lot of people would think of, but because mm -hmm. we don't share those experiences because of the shame and the right. hurt and all that other stuff, you know, people don't know, oh man, you went through something similar that they went through as well. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, very, it's, it's like I said before, man, you know, it's commendable and it's brave and the impact that this is gonna have to people that have experienced church hurt, whether similarly to the experience you had or similar to the to being naive in that moment, yeah. you know, when you, you think that nothing Wrong can happen in the church everybody's all about love <laughs> and then when you have those moments it's kind of like oh snapples like i, I wasn't thinking that yeah i mean yeah. and in your book you end every chapter um i was looking you have a section with uh reflection questions you have key takeaways from the chapter and you even end with the prayer yeah. um you know i know when you create things and when you put things out you are super intentional about it so how important was it for you to include this section at the end of every chapter well, the point of the book was to share my story, but really to teach people through my story. So to teach people how to open up their spiritual eyes. You know, a lot of times we look at life as, oh, that's just life. But actually, there's a very real spiritual realm that's even more real than, than, than this life that is just passing by, you know. And there is God and there are there's there's an evil you know being that is constantly you know involved in our stories whether we know it or not so what i wanted to do was i wanted to add like things that people can reflect about in their own life and and, and key takeaways to help them you know, know how to open their spiritual eyes and see, was this God or was this the devil? You know, and, 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 and when the devil did come and you suffered greatly because some kind of injustice or something like that, where was God there? Because God is always in it. You know, we survive. We're still here because of the grace of God. And I, I think that so often in life, we don't reflect on these things enough. And we just look at it like, well, it's just life. But um, I really wanted to give people tools and, and just I wanted to help them process their own life. And then at the end, I wanted to give them a prayer, an example of a prayer to help them, you know, overcome whatever it was that we're talking about in that chapter. And in the, the chapter with Church Hurt, it was, you know, spiritual authority. And, you know, for what happened with me was that I esteemed those pastors way too close to God. Yeah. I didn't know that that they could that there could be human error. I thought the pastors were, you know, they're the reasons why I felt God the way I did, or I thought that, you know. And so I equated that to them. And God taught me in a very hard, harsh way <laughs> that that's not what I need to do ever. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's basically what happened. Yeah. You know, and there is there is a reverence and a respect that you give to your leaders and your pastors, sure, uh, but sure. it is an important lesson to know they are not God. 
you know, and you have to have a personal strong relationship with God so that when any experience happens or any leader or anybody lets you down because of their humanness, because just the same way that we're human, they're human as well. And we don't then, you know, blame that on God when that wasn't God's fault. He wasn't the one that made that decision. That was dumb. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you know, and it was something that I learned, especially, you know, when I moved out to the suburbs seven years ago when I got married, uh, was how much my church culture, even my Puerto Rican culture, living in Brooklyn, um, that whole environment um, really is what causes me to be a certain way and to react to certain things a certain way. And even in my worship to the Lord, you know, you're a woman, you're Puerto Rican, you're in the music industry. How do those, how do those things affect your worship? Um, well, what I actually love all of that about me in the sense that, you know, coming forward, I come from, um, being who I am, you know, I'm not cultured in Christianity. Right. Mm -hmm. So my experience with God is very authentic. Yeah. And so what I did, um, always, and I still, you know, I'm grateful that that is still a part of me is I'm my authentic self. And I combine that with my authentic experience of God. You know, I'm not practiced. I'm not a practiced Christian. I'm not, you know, uh, polished like some other people are. I am just genuinely God's girl who he transformed. You know, he made new. He's the one who, you know, changed my language. He's the one who you know, helped me want to be more of a lady and not such a, you know, you know, uh, enticing you know pop star you know what i mean um and that's authentic like i think coming from new york and being you know a girl from brooklyn and puerto rican you know i think that new york kind of helps you be yourself (laughs) you know (laughs) uh there isn't this pretense like i live in florida now and um you know people here are kind of nice like all the time um but sometimes you wonder if it's sincere Mm-hmm. You know, it's just they're trained. It's that Southern charm that you're trained to be nice. And and when they're really mad, what they do is just they, they're passive aggressive about it. And for <laughs> me, it's like that drives me insane because I'm like, I would prefer you just tell me that you're mad so that we as people can walk this through, you know, yeah, just hash um, it out. <laughs> and I do like I like that. You know, I'm still in your face, but now I'm just in your face about Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, I think that that who I am and, and my, all of my experiences has kind of made me the 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 minister, the, um, you know, mentor that I am to people now. And I think that what happens sometimes with Christians is that we get become very cultured in the Christian sense. And mm-hmm. it's not authentic. It's like, yeah. you know, hey, life is real. We're real people. Um, yeah. and, you know, you have a or you have a responsibility to be everything that God called you to be. But if you're too busy trying to be, you know, Joel Osteen or Joyce Meyer, then you've missed it. Yeah, I mean, and I would like for you. Um, you know, as we come to a close to speak specifically to, you know, the young women who are out there listening right now who may um, may have a similar story or who may be feeling, you know, insecure or unwanted or, you know, struggling to fit fit in and, you know, maybe even struggling and contemplating with giving up on life, giving up on dreams and, you know, even suicidal thoughts. If you could, you know, speak to them, you know, in this moment, what what would you say to them to encourage them? 
See, I think what really helped me was learning that I didn't have to perform for anybody else. Um, you know, God knew me. He loved me. Even when I was completely not pleasing to him, you know, even when I was half dressed and, you know, there's a chapter in my book called Half Naked Preacher. And it was because, you know, I knew that God was real and I was always trying to at least share a little bit of God, but my lifestyle hadn't ca caught up to it. You know, I wasn't sanctified. Um, and it's, it's okay. Like God still loved me exactly the same way he loves me right now as a pastor's wife and as a minister and, and all this. Um, I think so oftentimes, especially women, we do look for validation in our relationships. Um, and I tell my single girls all the time, the best time with the Lord is during your singleness because there's nothing else that's fighting for your affection. It's the best time to learn who you are, to learn who God is, and to allow God to be your everything, to be your knight in shining armor, to be your savior, to be your uh, protector, to be your provider, to be every single thing. And for the rest of our lives, right, that is who God is. But sometimes we assign other people in that place. So if you are struggling with your identity, if you're struggling uh, with insecurity, if you're struggling because of the words that other people has attached to you, really try to press in and pay attention to what God says about you. If you don't have a relationship with him, the Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that he came to save, that he died on the cross so that you don't have to be guilty of your sins, that you can be washed clean of them, and that he rose up again so that you can overcome all these sins and, and, and walk in that power and that freedom. If you believe that, you just confess it with your mouth and believe it in your heart, and then you're saved. And then from that moment, just go on your journey with God. Every day, every second, every moment, instead of talking to yourself, instead of allowing your thoughts to get ahead of you, turn those conversations to conversations with God. You know, when you're feeling sad or you're feeling lonely, say, God, what do you think? Look yourself in the mirror and say, God loves me. God loves me. He's called me. I still have breath in my lungs because there's a purpose for my life. Things like that really make the difference. Nobody, I, yeah, no, nobody, nobody in this world is going to fill that void. A husband is great, but he can't reach as deep as God can. Parents are great, but not even they can do it. Only Jesus can fill that place. Absolutely. And I think those words apply to our gentlemen listeners as well. Amen. You know, not only the women, it's you guys, us guys as well, you know, have our those same struggles, have those same, you know, yes. fears and, yes. you know, situations in our life where we have to come to the realization that, you know, we need to put God as our center. And then all those other desires we have will be filled by God first. And then all, you know, and then you'll, you'll find your boo. Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, and as creatives, you know, I know that we're always on the move and we're always moving and, you know, you got the book out. I'm pretty sure you're, you know, wrapped up in the whole promotional tour on it as well. But is there anything else that we could be looking forward to hearing or finding from you in the near future that you can share with us? This year, I need to create a new record. Yes. <laughs> so I've already started writing songs. Um, but this year, my goal is last year, my goal was 
to finish the book and I did and I have an audio book coming too from this same book so the audio book drops February 16th I don't know when this will air but it'll probably be near um yeah and for me I I'm just I am ready to create music I mean music is my first passion my first love you know, um, that's what God used to save my life. And I just want to continue to do that. So this year, that's that's my goal. Nice. Awesome. And we'll be on the lookout for that for sure. Now, awesome. Jeannie, before we get to our last question, where can our listeners find you? Like, what are your Instagram, Facebook handles and websites yeah. and all that? So my website has everything. Jeannie O, J-E-A-N-N-I-E-O.com. And then everything else is Jeannie Ortega. So just at Jeannie Ortega. Um, and you can find me. I'm there. And I love to connect with people. You know, on my, on my website, when you log in, you could literally, there's a text uh, little pop-up screen that's a text message. You can text that and it goes straight to my phone. You know, and if I don't respond to you right away, I will respond eventually. So go back and check. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. And definitely, uh, listeners, go out, grab her book. Um, you know, uh, like she said, the audiobook is coming out real soon. Uh, so definitely, you know, support uh, her book, her latest project. And since this is called the God Life Culture Podcast, we have one last question that you can answer, you know, in about like 30 seconds or so. And it says, how did God use your book, What Is Happening to Me, to minister to your own life? And how do you hope the book will impact the culture? Okay. So I read the book to my parents before the book was released because I was afraid that they would probably not read it because they thought I was talking really bad about them or whatever, which wasn't the case. After I read the hardest chapter in the book where I talk about my family life, my mother actually got up and she asked if me, my, her, myself and my dad could hug. And as we hugged, we, she began to pray. My mom is not bold. My, me and my dad are the bold ones. She began to prophetically pray and just declare that we're not who we used to be. And she started to give God praise. And she started to just talk about the new life that we all have and how God changed the trajectory of our family. To me, that was the most powerful, impactful thing that could have happened. I expected for the book to help other people find freedom, to find, um, to break free from generational curses and things like that. Never did I think that it would impact my very own family. So that is actually both because that's, that's my goal for the book for other families. And the fact that it did that for mine was just mind blowing. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm pretty like you said before, you already started getting little messages here and there and that will continue to happen. And you know what? We give God thanks also for the messages that you're not going to receive. But in having faith that God did touch hearts, deal, he, did hear family, did hear heal people that um, just needed to receive those words and those prayers in each one of those chapters of your book. So we want to thank you so much for joining us in this episode of the God Life Culture Podcast. Yes. Thank, thank you so you. much, Jamie for sharing with us and to all our listeners be sure to subscribe to our podcast be sure to go and you know visit Jeannie's website get all of her material get her book and you know support her uh, but you can find us and follow us on Instagram at God Life Culture Podcast and you can send us an email on there send us a message be sure to subscribe 
leave us a review, all of those great things that we always, mm -hmm. um, you know, encourage you guys to do. Thank you so much. Yeah. So make sure you go out and get Jeannie's book, What Is Happening to Me? The author's name is Jeannie Ortega. And we want to thank you once again for joining us on the God Life Culture podcast. That's God, God Life Culture. Culture. Until next time. See ya. Bye, guys.